Hello, I'm Carl Cannon, Washington Bureau Chief of Real Clear Politics. For those of you who don't know our site, um, we're nonpartisan. I know not a, a lot of news organizations say that, but if you see our site for 30 seconds, you realize it's actually true in our case. And um, I'm, we've been doing for much of the year um, with the sponsorship of Raytheon's special projects on cybersecurity, podcasts, um, stories, other interviews. Uh, Andy Walworth, who you'll see in the second panel, um, has been my partner in this effort. Um, so what we're going to do, we'll, this is Rob Joyce, who I'm going to introduce in a moment. We'll have a conversation. I will leave some time at the end because we've got a high-powered audience and your questions will probably be as good or better than mine. Um, Andy, if you can give me maybe a 15-minute signal. And, um, and so uh, everybody get comfortable. Thanks for coming. Um, this is Rob Joyce. Most of you know him. He doesn't need an introduction, so I'll be brief. Uh, when he left his post at the White House uh, last spring, Curtis Dukes, who you know, the former head of cybersecurity at, at NSA, pronounced it a huge loss for the country. Uh, but fortunately, Rob returned to NSA, where he's where he worked for 27 years, uh, and where he's still doing the hard work of cyber defense. So we're actually honored to have him. Rob, Rob, um, Rob's an engineer. He has an electrical engineering uh, master's degree from Johns Hopkins. Um, in the genteel words of CNBC, is a technologist at heart. Um, in the days before uh, a, a software, uh, a, a millennial in sandals who discovered a killer app out in the valley is worth a billion dollars and we had to pay difference, we would have said that Rob is a computer nerd. Now, we don't use that phrase anymore. We've learned better. Um, <clears throat> But, uh, but Rob is not entirely a non-nerd either. He, um, he was a Boy Scout scoutmaster for many years of Maryland, where he lives. And he had a his troop participate in something called um, pumpkin chunking, which is what, what it sounds like, chunking pumpkins through the air. I think Rob may have developed a special catapult because he has an engineering degree. I'm just guessing there. Um, on, on holidays, Rob has a Christmas light display, uh, a, a computerized, synchronized Christmas tree, no, Christmas light display where he lives that some people have opined that you could see from the International Space Station. So I guess my first question is, Rob, uh, let's forget about the Chinese and Russians and North Koreans just for a moment and think about ETs. Um, I think most people in this room saw Close Encounters of the Third Kind or some movie like it. Are you worried that you may be the person who actually communicates with aliens? No, I'm uh, not too worried about that. I get some traffic in my neighborhood for the lights, but not that much, and I've never seen anything floating above. Um, all right, then. But if we do make the connection, this will probably be our point, man, so we're honored to have you. Uh, in this hyper-partisan era, Rob, you, you can't, if you mention Russian interference with the election, half the country and the President of the United States himself suspects immediately you're trying to undermine the legitimacy um, of, his, of, his, of the 2016 election and his presidency. But in a recent piece for the Cypher Brief, you wrote that, you wrote flatly, election security is national security. Um, that would seem to be something all Americans could agree on. And I guess my question then is, are we doing enough to protect our election, the voting machine specifically, but other aspects of it? Yeah, so good question. I think, you know, I, I 
wrote that piece from the heart. There's an enormous amount of people in government and outside government um, who find election security as fundamental to the way the country runs, operates, and thrives. And so we're all interested in making sure that, that free and fair elections are preserved. Um, are, are we doing enough? Um, we're doing a hell of a lot. Um, certainly when I look at where we were um, two years ago and where we are today, um, just the fact that we're having this conversation says that um, we've elevated to an enormously better level. Um, I've watched um, the effort DHS, FBI have put into election security, counter-influence, you know, Bill Benvenina's office worrying about the, uh, the, the, the ways in which we can or are being attempted to have interference. Um, some of that falls into cybersecurity. Some of it doesn't, right? Um, we watch the weaponization of information where a hack steals information and then influence operations use that. Inf uh, that um, one of the things that helps us in election security is just understanding that's going on and that there are people attempting to do it. So that is an enormously better place we're in for these elections, just simply stepping back and asking the questions of what's happening and why. Um, you fast forward to the infrastructure, there's great discussions about, you know, how we do our elections, um, what makes for safe voting technology. Um, some of that is cybersecurity, some is not, um, but the dialogue has advanced. Now the problem we're still having is we need some changes in places where we're using insecure technology and that doesn't happen overnight. And so. I think the uh, Congress has done a good job in making funding available. I think the states are, are asking the right questions. And I watch commercial industry has really stepped up. Places um, who do cybersecurity as a business um, are widely offering their services for free to um, the, 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 the candidates, the campaigns, and the states. So we're a long way better. We're not, uh, we're not done. And, uh, you know, as I've opined uh, before, this is a race without a finish line. I, I feel good about the progress, um, but we got to keep running. Well, now, this is not technically, uh, this is not a technological question, but after the 2000 Florida recount, um, people thought, the, the advanced thinking was, we got to get rid of paper ballots. Um, <laughs> now I'm getting emails from tech companies saying, okay, we need paper ballots and electronic ballots, and we need both, and, that, and the best way we would know that our systems weren't hacked if we compare these and they're the same. Do you, do you have an opinion about that? So there's a lot of great academic advice. You know, I look at what the Belford Center out of, out of Harvard has done in um, best practices for elections. I'd refer folks to those. You know, rather than go into the details, there's really excellent reference material and studies out there. I think we know how to do good, good elections. Uh, like I said, it's now getting over to the point where we um, where we replace the insecure systems and double down on the secure pieces. All right, now one last election question. We are real clear politics, so I'm, I'm obsessed with this. But uh, in 2018, we've got an election going on. What, three or four weeks? We'll, and Congress is up for you know, the Democratic or Republican control of the House and the Senate. If the vote doesn't go the way some people expect it to go, that side, are they gonna say, oh, we were, we were you know, maybe we were compromised again? Um, are, are we able, is the intelligence community and the, and the government able to say, no, actually, we think this, we think this election was on the up and up? Are we, are, so, we, are we there? So I think, you know, we've had good examples of intelligence in the past that have shown where things have not gone well. Um, and I think we're prepared to continue to look at that. 
Um, but you're talking to the, the technologist. You know, when you say, will people say it was not fair? Um, in this hyper-politicized world, I, I'm worried about that. I'm also worried that, you know, the, the, the cooler story is not that the elections were safe and secure. It's, oh my God, we were hacked or we were influenced. And, and so, you know, I would encourage everybody to breathe deeply and, you know, look at all the resources the government, private industry, um, and the states and locals are bringing to this and expect that we're going to provide a, a, a fair and safe election. Um, when you were in a recent article um, on this topic, uh, one in uh, the, the fifth domain posed the question, can white hat hackers boost the security of voting machines? And that got me thinking about, you know, well, first of all, white hat hackers, is that an oxymoron? No, I don't, I don't think so. Um, right. there, there are people who are able to apply technology um, in ways that are very useful. Um, hacker doesn't necessarily mean somebody that's trying to break in and steal your money. It means somebody that's using someone who technology, knows how to using technology in novel and creative ways. Um, I, I watched a good example of that. The DEF CON voting village was a good example. Right. A lot of people out there, you know, they came together with the intent of finding flaws and, and exposing those to the point where they could be fixed and addressed. All right, we'll, we're, we'll talk in a little bit about hackbacks, but, but in terms of, of hackers, if we demystify that term or we, or we take, make it less pejorative, what we're talking about is do companies have to have people on their staff, the companies that like represent this room, who know how to hack to defend themselves from hackers? Is that what we're talking about? Um, companies certainly need access to it. Now, whether they have them on their own staff or they use the industry, there's some tremendous cybersecurity firms that provide that service. But you need to be tested. If you're running a network, um, you're going to be tested whether you want to or not. And so ignoring that threat and just assuming it's not happening is not a, a, a wise proposition. So you, you want to go out and under controlled circumstances, having someone testing those th those network components, the things that are in your network, because the hackers are going to work against what they find. They aren't going to work against what you think you have. And so um, it, it's great if your staff understands what they did to secure their network, but they're, um, if they're only looking at the defenses they put in and not the weaknesses that have been introduced, they're going to fail. Um, we've heard, everybody in this room I'm sure has heard a lot in recent months about supply chain cybersecurity threats. Um, uh, but to many people, well, at least to me, it seemed pretty arcane until Bloomberg had a story last week about these, um, uh, these chips that had allegedly been implanted in a plant in, a plant in San Jose that made motherboards for servers um, uh, and presumably installed by the Chinese military. And um, so that, that's super micro. Uh, but some of the companies mentioned prominently in that article, notably Apple, um, pushed back on it and said it's flatly wrong. Enlighten us. Who's right? Bloomberg or Apple? So, wow. I put a lot of effort into this topic over the last, uh, last few days. Um, so, so let me start with the supply chain issue, right? It, it's real. We have to, as a nation, worry about our supply chain for national security. Um, if you look at individuals, everybody has a different threat envelope and you have to understand what are the likely threats that are going to come at you. Um, you know, my family, 
um, my, my retired parents, are they, should they be concerned at all about a, a supply chain hack? No. You know, across the street at the White House, do they have to worry about a supply chain hack? Absolutely. Defense Department weapons system? Absolutely. So there's this sliding scale. So yes, we in the government care a lot about supply chain issues. That's why you saw things like DHS do the binding operational directive on Kaspersky. That's why you see the debate about Huawei technologies. Um, we have to worry about supply chain. Now, if you transition over to the story, um, let's unpack it a little. Um, we've, got, um, we've got some pretty spectacular allegations. Um, it, uh, it had enough legs because people worry about this, and we've talked about those supply chain concerns. So, um, so, so it, uh, it, it is um, a real concern, and we've got to follow up on that. Now, you take that really expansive, explosive um, allegations, and you've got the companies who were specifically named as having this flaw, and they're on the record denying it. They have um, general counsels issuing letters that will get them in trouble with the, you know, the, the FTC um, and many other fiduciary liabilities, SEC. right? So, so SEC, they're, they're going to, if they were deceptive, um, they're going to, uh, they're going to suffer a world of hurt. They have gone on the record hard saying that is not accurate, right? You've got the other side of it where there's all sorts of allegations about, you know, what the government knew and was working on in advance. I have pretty good understanding about what we're worried about and what we're working on from my position. Um, I don't see it, right? So I look at those two things. I look at the massive crowdsourcing effort that has gone and, and looked at, Supermicro motherboards since this broke, and there's been absolutely none found. I've got all sorts of commercial industry freaking out, right, and just losing their mind about this this concern. Their boards are poking at them, their managers are poking at them, and nobody's found anything. Um, I, I've got um, massive expense on the government side and commercial industry side um, working this issue, and. There's no there there yet, right? So um, I, I have grave concerns about where this has taken us. Um, I, I worry that you know we're chasing shadows right now. Um, do you have to worry about Chinese supply chain? Yes. Um, do I have confidence that there's some there there on this story? I, I don't, right? And, and um, I, I worry about the distraction that it is causing. But what was different about this in one respect was we were talking about hardware. We, thought, we always thought this is a software problem. It's also a hardware problem that doubles, that doubles the areas where we need to be defensive, right? Yeah, it, it, it goes back to my earlier comment, right? You really need to understand your threat model, right? And my, my parents have to worry about generic, I call them doorknob rattlers, the people who will try to steal your things because they can, right? They don't care who they're stealing from, they just want wealth. And then there's really targeted, very specific nation state activities. Um, and we have, we have long examples of nation states doing exotic technology attacks against us to get after classified or national security information. Um, great example is the, 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 the great seal that was presented to the Russian ambassador years ago by children in Moscow that contained a really wild, esoteric, high-tech, at the time, listening device, right? 
nation states are going to do things on a one-off basis. Should all of the companies in this room and the boards of directors across the country be freaking out about this article? Wow, um, no, not right now. Um, not right now. All right. Um, three weeks ago, the White House finally issued, that's not nonpartisan, the White House issued its national security cyber strategy. Um, to my mind, there, there wasn't a lot that was new there except for a couple of things, and I want to ask you about them. The first, um, it put President Trump firmly on the record. Um, the report, which you, I don't think it's a state secret, were, you were working on it in your office when you left and went back to NSA, that you were helping draft it, but it, it begins, protecting America's national security and promoting the prosperity of the American people are my top priorities. This is a statement signed by the President. Esti ensuring the security of cyberspace is fundamental to both endeavors. Well, that's, that's a statement that it seems to me sort of lays to rest or this idea that the White House doesn't, isn't interested in, or is unaware of the cybersecurity threat. So is that something we should think is a positive step? No, I, absolutely. I think, you know, from the time I joined the administration, that was one of the reasons that got me on board was um, there is an intent and a serious uh, um, investment in looking at our cybersecurity. It is absolutely viewed as an important priority and an area that, you know, frankly has changed so much over the years and will continue to change that we've got to focus on it. We've got to apply our resources and our talent um, and address it. And I think, you know, the, the national strategy and those statements go a long way in providing that, that guidance and that focus. Now, this, and the second thing, um, which got the press attention partly because uh, National Security Advisor John Bolton talked about it, was the reports, um, what well, he said, in his briefings, that this report talks about taking a more offensive approach to cyber attacks. That's interesting. Um, at one, you know, you want the government doing that, but in terms of private enterprise, are we? Is he starting? Is that? Is the government moving into? You know, is he talking about hackbacks there? Because that, under current federal law, is not even legal for companies to do. Right. Is that what he's talking about? No. So I think, uh, you know, what we're talking about in that, and there's probably a better view of it if you start to look at some of the DOD documents and strategies that came out, um, says there's a role for the government to provide some protection against these hacks that are coming at the country. Um, what it means is um, our responses shouldn't be always to act after the breach, that there's got to be some proactive action um, to make what, what I'll say is life harder for those seeking um, to exploit us, harm us, position against us. And, and I say that meaning that if you're always responding to a breach, you're playing defense. Um, if you're proactive and trying to prevent them from having free shots on goal, the ability to come at their time and place of choosing, um, you're better positioned. So does that mean that the new strategy is, you know, hack, 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 always be hacking. No, it's not. It's that there's this wide portfolio of things. And I think, you know, one of the, the, the recognitions is we've been doing a lot more in the diplomatic, with partners, naming, shaming, everything from indictments um, to treasury actions to um, the, the, uh, the, the public outing of, uh, of campaigns, sharing indicators of compromise. And yes, um, offensive cyber operations, defensive cyber effects operations are a element of that portfolio. And there was some debate about you know, how, how much overhead and bureaucracy was associated with it 
and were we able to do the things in the time frames and at the pace we needed um, and, and we weren't and so there's been some work to adjust that but that is not um, a, an indicator that you know the needle has moved from where we were to a whole bunch of hacking um, that is not the case um, there seems to be something of a disconnect between um, security officers of companies Silicon Valley academics at, at the Hoover Institution where I was last week at a cybersecurity conference in, in other, and, and the political class in other words people really are in this space fear escalation um, if, if if even the government, but companies go out on their own, you know, Sony's attacked by North Korea, should, should, should Sony then attack North Korea or shame them publicly in some way? Well, everybody I talk to, the experts say, no, no, that's, that's dangerous. It, things could get worse. On the other hand, you know, the political class is hearing from people who are angry. That, and that small companies are hacked, too, and, and don't have defenses, don't even have security officers. And they expect the, the FBI, and, you know, to protect them. So how do we, you know, how do we reconcile these two views, both of which seem valid? Yeah, so I, I think as you talk to most experts, they are not supportive of, uh, you know, the privateering hackbacks. Um, I, I know I'm personally not. That's been the, the position of, uh, of, you know, a, a bunch of the leadership across the community I work with. Um, the, there's a time and a place, things that need to be inherently government activity. You're taking a lot of risk as you decide to execute these operations. Um, it, it really needs to be with the backing, the policy, and the support of the government. Um, there's a lot of good dialogue out there about the risks of, you know, gray space. The Chinese, the North Koreans don't come straight from China and North Korea. Um, they come through intermediaries. And, you know, will that small company that can't defend themselves, that chooses out of, chooses out of frustration to hack back, Will they recognize that this is just a third-party hot point, and uh, and they're doing damage to an innocent bystander? Um, and then take the opposite side. You know, if uh, if somebody rents time on AWS servers in Seattle, um, and uh, you know they are used in a hack against another nation, um, do we want other countries coming back and hitting Amazon, um, saying that this is the new norm? Um, we, we don't. So there's got to be some amount of activity. I think the government engaging in um, some of those defensive cyber effects operations um, will start to understand when that's effective, when that's not effective, and if in the future, you know, we need to adjust the policies or we need to have Congress adjust the laws, we can look at those things. But I, I think what we need to do is, um, you know, let the DOD start to execute their uh, their continuous engagement strategies, their defend forward strategies, and see where that takes us um, and, and not go straight into um, you know, some of the proposals that I've seen. All right, well, let me, can I push back on that a little bit? Sure. The, the, we, uh, we talk, I mentioned this last night at a dinner I was with, Justin was there, he'll be on your second panel. Um, so if I'm a congressman from Indiana or a vice president from Indiana, and I've got this nonprofit <coughs> This, and this is a true story, by the way. It happened January 17th last year. It's a small nonprofit, eight computers, eight laptops they have. It's called, I think, the Little Red Door. Um, and they um, provide services, social services, to indigent families that are going through cancer. That cancer is in their family. Poor people, giving them rides to clinics, giving them advice, giving them literature. It's about as wholesome and heartwarming a charity as you could find. 
Well, they got hit by a ransomware attack from uh, the Dark Overlord, which we think is North Korea, right? Can you say? Uh, maybe uh, not. I think it's. Don't, I don't know what went on on those laptops, so okay. I'm certainly not going to do an attribution here. Fair enough. Well, let's not attribute it, but we don't think it was from this country. We think it was from a small Asian country, let's just say. Um, and they wanted. They shut down their servers, and these people they couldn't go. They couldn't go take families. They had a child with cancer, a ride to an a doctor's appointment, and they wanted forty-three thousand dollars in Bitcoin. I don't know why that figure, but that's what they demanded. Well, this this charity couldn't and wouldn't pay. But you know what you'd ex what they there's an expectation. Oh, oh, and by the way, when they didn't get the money, they started hacking local school districts and the Dark Overlord, and said, "If you don't pay, we'll kill your children." So these are not these are not good people. These are not just friendly hackers. These are vicious criminals. The old days, you'd call up the FBI agent and say, hey, somebody's threatened to kid my, my children. You go get them and arrest them. Uh, I think Americans still have an expectation that, that, ransom, that things like this are crimes and that law enforcement should be able to protect them. Yep. So I think in your scenario, you're, you're looking to the government to do something. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. um, so I don't look for the equivalent of you know, that charity to go to some local college kid who knows a thing or two about computers and uh, run vigilante operations on their behest, right? Fair, I think fair you, enough. You, you ought to look the, to, what is the government doing enough in these cases? Uh, the question is, um, do we have the resources and the focus? I don't think the answer to that yeah. is to, to go to the college kid who thinks he can figure out who's hacking him and go back at him, right? I think you've got to look at several solutions. One, um, we've got to be working um, to help those nonprofits, those small businesses, to either have the shields around them that they can stand up to this type of, of, uh, of activity. You know, there, there's neighborhoods in D.C. where, you know, you, you're really expected to have some bars on your windows, right, because it's that kind of neighborhood. If you're attached to the Internet today, you know, there, there's an expectation. You're, you, you've brought the bad neighborhood in contact with you. Um, and so you ought to be doing some of the basic things that protect yourself. Um, ran ransomware, um, really, that's, uh, that, that's table stakes um, for, for businesses. That's, um, that's hygiene. You've got to be patching. You ought to be running antivirus. And, and you, know, you, you ought to have some email provider that is sifting and filtering the, the, the phishing that's coming at you. And if you do that, chances are very, very good you're never going to see a ransomware attack. Right? How do we get um, that type of understanding or that type of service available in broad, broadly um, deployed, um, easily afforded um, service to you know, our citizens, our businesses, um, and, and our society? And th that's what we've got to focus on. Right? And the hackback's frankly a distraction. The chances are low that it's going to make a difference, that you're going to be able to do it successfully. Um, again, it, it, it feels good to smack somebody back and say, I'm going to punch them back. But the reality is I'd rather have um, you know, our, our resources, whether it's in the executive, whether it's in Congress, focused on fixing things that are going to be systemically solving the problem um, rather than contributing to the noise. All right. So, um, so I mentioned I was at this uh, cybersecurity conference at, at Stanford University. Um, Stanford professor Herb Lin summed up what you said this way. He agrees with you. There's no, talking about hackbacks, 
hacking the people who hacked you. There's no evidence from history of any or anywhere else to indicate that this strategy will lead to restraint on the part of the adversaries. So you, you agree with that? I do. And, and th there was a, there's another professor there, though, named Irv Latchow. Do you know him? I Irv? don't. I know her. Yeah. He, yeah. And he says, he, he gave a presentation. He said, but this is not, we're not trying to minimize the problem. The, fact, the phrase he used, he said, American companies are under siege. That's the phrase used from cyber criminals and state-sponsored cyber spies. Um, and said that despite the billions of dollars being spent by companies already, um, that it's still impossible for them and the FBI, DHS, local police departments to hire enough people to stop it. Um, so he, he, he starts talking about sort of this low-grade, you know, mitigation efforts that you were alluding to earlier, sir. So, so what do those consist of? What, what is a way to engage the enemy without, without escalating, without breaking the law? What are some of the best strategies? I think we have to um, we have to really get serious about international collaboration on crime. Right? There's there, there's three types of engagements that are going on. Right? There's the big nation state stuff that we have to worry about. There there's only four nations that are behaving belligerently and badly on the on the internet. They'll surprise nobody in this room: Russia, China, Iran, North Korea. Right? And that's things we have to do as a nation um, to, to address that. The next level down is large-scale cybercrime. And there's some havens where it is really hard to chase these people who are doing the crimes and bring them to justice. So more collaboration, more cooperation at the international level um, against cybercrime is gonna clean up the ecosystem for a lot of the concerns you're talking about. And then third, we have to come to the point where you know we're, we're not um, we're, we're not walking alone with tons of cash in our pocket through the bad neighborhoods, which means you have to recognize there's a threat there and there's a certain amount of responsibility on individuals, companies, corporations um, to, to do the right thing and get the basics right. It's not fun, but um, it also, if you focus on it, is not hard to do right. All right, I'm going to ask you one last question and we'll go to Q&A from the audience. Um, so uh, this is more... Speaking with more altitude now, if you, you're canvassing the global threat landscape, and, and you, you have to do this in your job, I mean, which threat actors should the business community, people here in this room, be most concerned with, and what are their intentions? Yeah. Again, it's really focused. Th this room is a hard one to answer that for, right? Because there's the, there's the Raytheons who are here working for the Department of Defense. Um, there, there are banks who are out there with significant resources and assets. Um, they are both high threat targets, but they're going to get um, attacked by different people, right? The, 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 the defense industrial base is going to see the threats from the likes of China and Russia, who really want to understand state, state secrets and our national um, weapons capabilities and other things. Um, if you look at the banks, um, they are going to be organized criminal groups for the most part. But even the nation state of North Korea looking to generate hard Western currency in an era of sanctions. So, so the, the threat differs. You really have to step back, think about your business, think about your, your location, and then consider your threat model. You know, Again, my retired parents, uh, they have to worry about North Korea just because of the broad scale ransomware um, things that North Korea has done in the past. They don't have to worry about the Chinese 3PLA wanting to come to their computer system um, and, and try to get weapons designs and state secrets, right? That's not their threat model. So it depends on who you're talking, but you know, I think uh, 
um, most of us can step back and do that analysis. All right. Um, uh, let's take some questions now. Who, just raise your hand and stand and bellow out your question. If you feel like it, say where you're from. Oh, there. You don't have to bellow. There's a microphone. <laughs> activity that has focused on uh, managed service providers as well as IT outsourcers. Um, some of the earliest research on this began in 2015, but it seems now that this is the third alert by DHS that the government is particularly concerned about this campaign. Rob, can you speak more broadly about um, how the government is viewing this, this particular uh, hacking campaign? It's sort of an odd time to ask about supply chain threats from the Chinese, given what just happened with the Bloomberg story, but uh, I'd like to get your impression. Thank you. Good. Hey, thanks, Chris. And uh, I think the microphone was on, but just in case, I'll repeat some of the question. Um, there, there's been a recent, uh, a recent DHS report on uh, um, supply chain threat, and by supply chain, this is not the chips on the motherboard, but saying there's a, there's a class of, uh, of providers who give rack space servers compute powers to business and allow them to, at scale, spin up and, and uh, use that infrastructure um, for business purposes. And what we have seen across a number of years, um, Chris referenced it, um, an attack vector, Cloudhopper is one of the names given to it, where um, uh, assessed as Chinese attackers have gone into these managed service providers and compromised them, um, not to get at that business, but it, to get at the customers of that business who are a wide array of, uh, of uh, different businesses. That is um, strategic high ground, right? That is, if you can compromise the MSP, you can look at and potentially um, compromise a number of businesses across a number of different either verticals or different brands. And, and we're very worried about it. We've seen this, um, this technology play out. There's been some commercial reporting. PricewaterhouseCooper did a report on it. Um, there's been some government reports, previous DHS reporting. Um, we continue to worry about it. Despite the um, previous warnings, um, we see the, uh, the, the, the compromises continue. We see the efforts to um, uh, infiltrate and e exploit um, managed service providers still ongoing. And so that's why we raised the flag. Um, it's a, uh, a large-scale concern because of how broad it is um, and how pervasive this access is. What we've watched is after they've gotten into some managed service providers, it's our belief that they haven't been pushed completely out at times. And so we're trying to share as the government indicators of compromise, tradecraft, and raise the, uh, the attention and alert of the industry to help um, focus resources on this. Uh, to ask companies to contribute and share what they know um, and drive them out of this space and make it harder for them to perform those operations. So it is an area that, that uh, companies ought to pay attention to. If you're using a managed service provider, you ought to have a conversation with those providers about what they're doing and how they're protecting your assets. If you're an MSP, you ought to be talking to DHS and, and, uh, and, uh, and, and working with the information they're providing. And then we would ask everybody, um, cycle back and then provide us indicators that we can then help um, broadcast out to the community to continue the campaign. Other questions? 
Just yes, right one here. Quick follow up. Um, is it clear? Wait, to wait, you? wait. I'm sorry, Chris. Do you have a follow up? Yeah, it's just a quick follow up. Okay. Um, is it clear to you what sectors are specifically being targeted in this campaign, or what type of content is ultimately uh, tempted to be stolen? Um, I don't want to do that off the cuff here, Chris. You know, it. it if you just look at the the uh, the managed ser managed service providers broadly, um, it it serves a wide array of customers, and we've seen um, some amount of, uh, of, of focus on um, you know, what you would consider nation state intel needs, um, but I'm not sure that it's confined just to that, so, um, so it gives us pause. Right here. Could you wait for the mic there? Greg Rattray from JP Morgan Chase. Uh, Rob, we've had this discussion a little bit before, but uh, on the notion of who should be going back after attackers. We very much agree with sort of the theme of the conversation, which it shouldn't be the private sector, and also agree that, therefore, it is inherently governmental, and we need the government's help because free shots on goal are, are making it you know, a very difficult under-siege environment we live in. I also think I concur that as much as we can uplift everybody so that those shots sort of bounce off easily, but all that said, does the government investing enough and as you know I'm a former Air Force officer and I know what we invest in programs like the F-22 and the F-35 the level of investment we have in this is not even close it's not even an order of magnitude less it's more than an order of magnitude less yet does the national security risk posed by cyber now sort of outstrip some of these traditional things that we invest in and can we make the shift to the investment we need to provide the capability to provide some sort of deterrent capability. I think that fundamentally is the national strategic problem, and I just would like to get your thoughts on that. So, so Greg, let me start with I support the president's budget. <laughs> is, uh, that's the standard line for any of you who have worked in the, uh, the executive branch. Uh, that said, I would love to have you go lobby Congress, um, because as I look at it, um, it, it's not just the DOD capacity to do um, you know, defensive operations or even offensive operations. But, but I agree, when, when you look at the DOD budget and what you know, one aircraft carrier or one um, joint strike fighter costs, um, you know, are, are, are we able to put those kind of resources into the strategic cyber threat and we're not. Um, I, I'd also look over at DHS and you know, what they have to work with and, and the remit they have for um, securing critical infrastructure and providing a, that big public face to, to the, the, the types of folks that are represented here by the chamber. And you know, they're woefully under-resourced. I also know that you know, the intel we generate at NSA that's the engine behind understanding these threats and enabling um, action, whether it's over at FBI, DHS, the DOD, um, you know, there, there's finite amounts of resources um, in, in that space. So, um, yeah, I, I expect over time, as we look at national security threats, there's going to be some examination of what we're investing in and why. Um, cyber has grown a lot. Um, in the DOD case, we've stood up a whole um, new combatant command and, and resourced that. That was non-trivial investment by the DOD. Um, we've got to get that up and running, and, you know, I think, at, at, as we show value from that and talk about the, the, the strategic threat, I think they'll be able to make a compelling case, uh, you know, as, that, as will DHS as they stand up um, the, the new 
um, Cybersecurity Infrastructure Agency. Um, you know, I, I think growth area in cyber, just as um, the commercial world's investing in, and I think the government will be too. I think we have time for one more question, Rob Joyce. You, sir, had your hand up. Hi, Dustin Volz with Wall Street Journal. Um, since Chris mentioned it earlier, just I know you tweeted about this, Rob, but um, wondering if you can expand on that Bloomberg story uh, about the supermicro hack and uh, whether the government has uncovered any corroborating evidence to support the central claims in that story. Just really eager to hear your perspective on that. And then a second question. The president a couple weeks ago at the United Nations and then the vice president again last week accused China of engaging in uh, election interference. Um, and then they went on to sort of list a litany of things that China has done that I think many people would categorize as soft power influence, including you know censorship of movies out of Hollywood and, and so forth. Um, but in the specific cyber context, I'm wondering if you can expand on what China is currently doing and if you see any evidence that they are attacking the midterms elections. We've been told by the DHS secretary and others that we haven't seen any evidence of the election infrastructure itself, but are there other aspects in the cyber domain where China has been attempting to interfere or meddle, specifically social media with the creation, propagation of fake news and false personas and so forth? Thank you. Right. I'm glad you gave me two softballs. Right. <laughs> All right. Yep, you too, Dustin. Um, so, so starting with the uh, China supply chain supermicro. Um, as I mentioned, we put a lot of work into it. Um, what I can't find is um, any, any ties to the claims that are in the article. Um, and that is a, a, a plea out to um, the community, as I mentioned in, in that tweet you referenced. Um, if somebody has first degree knowledge, can hand us a board, can um, point, to, um, point to somebody in a company that was involved in this um, as claimed, um, we want to talk to them. I don't care if you come into DHS, if you come into FBI, if you come into NSA, wherever you have a good connection, help us understand that, uh, right? Because we, we really need to understand it. If it's a real threat, we've got to get after it. We've got to um, understand it. We've got to address it. Uh, at this point, I have no leads I can, I, I can specifically work. Um, you know, I, I referenced earlier, uh, the, the companies have denied it. I have pretty great access. I, I don't have a lead to pull from the government side. Um, we're just befuddled, um, you know. And 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 I get companies expending enormous resources, going, you know, I've got a photo of it. How can you not have an example? What's not stated? That photo is a reference photo, right? It's it it is not an implanted board. That so I don't have anything to pull on. So um, great frustration there. Uh, we had a new report yesterday um, of telecommunication implants. Uh, the big four and even a couple more that are talking to us have said, not us. We don't know what it is. So again, um, there's a lot of spin, a lot of effort going on. We need to get to the bottom of it, but I don't have that lead. Please, if you have first degree knowledge of it, um, help us understand. If you have, um, you know, if you have the, uh, the, the, the ability to understand that, you know, what's happening right now is we've got a lot of people who have heard from another person who heard from another person, right? And, and I think some of that um, is a contributing factor in all of this. I do know inside the government, there was one, and that's the only one I know of, um, uh, you know, investigation into a super micro board. But it turns out when we pulled that string back, the reason they pulled that board and looked at it before the story came out was because the reporter had been asking questions for months and months and months to many different people who all came in and said, hey, I heard. 
right? And so we followed up on it and no there there yet. China influenced quickly. Um, China influenced quickly. Um, <laughs> you know, the, we're all worried about the safety and security of the election. Um, it is not just Russia that is capable of doing influence operations um, or, or um, cyber operations. Um, China is certainly a concern and we're paying attention from our chair at NSA. Um, I think, you know, the, the Secretary of DHS has gone on record saying we've seen no evidence of infrastructure hacking at this point. Um, and, you know, I, I think China goes into that umbrella statement. Um, you know, you, you've cited the, the other things that the government's put out publicly about the influence operations. I, I won't go any farther than that because anything we do see at this point right before the elections, um, we need to keep in government channels and make sure we can address those um, in, in safe and responsible ways. All right, I have one uh, final word. We'll get the other panel up here. Um, even though Rob's been holding a Diet Coke can up here the entire time, and I drink Diet Coke every morning myself, Coca-Cola is not the sponsor. The sponsor is Raytheon, and the Chamber of Commerce is hosting us, so I want to mention, I want to thank Raytheon and the Chamber for doing that. And please join me, most of all, in thanking Rob Joyce for taking time. Thank you.